Good morning. It's good to see you here. You always wonder who's going to show up the week after Easter. Almost half did. Uh, Anyway, it's great to have you here. We are continuing our journey through Genesis. We are in chapter 23. If you have a copy of the scriptures, open it up. If you need one, raise your hand and Val will get it to you. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures at home, you can take this one with you, okay? It's our gift to you there. We're, we're generous like that. Um, if you do have one and just forgot it, then give it back and we can use it again. But if you need a copy of the scriptures, by all means, we want you to have one. As we've been going through this book, the last time we were in Genesis chapter 22, it was one of the pivotal points of the book. It was one of the monumental points in Abraham's life. It's what has labeled him the father of faith. What took place in chapter 22, and as we spoke about what happened in chapter 22, where Abraham went to offer his son Isaac, we, we see that what actually took place it is not what most people think has taken place. We, we talked about how sacrifice was a part of the religious mindset at that time and how child sacrifice was like a common thing. It was the ultimate of what you could do to sacrifice to God, but that's not what took place. When we ask the question, what kind of God would ask you to sacrifice your child The answer was, not this one. In fact, the surprising point of Genesis 22 and Isaac, the story, is that God himself provided the sacrifice, which was unheard of, which would have dropped the jaws of everyone listening to this story. And when it came to this point, when God said, stop it, I see that you will offer him, but I will provide the sacrifice. And that was unheard of. God doesn't provide sacrifices. That's, that's our job, but not this God. And so here is this just climactic moment, this time of just intense emotion. And then we come to chapter 23, and it's the death of Sarah. And it's almost like there's a, a pause where you have to catch your breath, but then life goes on. Have you ever had maybe an experience where you're running or hiking and all of a sudden you just have to stop to breathe. Maybe if you're in shape, that doesn't happen to you. But I, I, and when we were in Haiti and I had to hike down to this village this last time, on the way back up, man, I tell you, I was just dying. I, I was like climbing up the hill and I was like, finally, I'm like, okay, I got to stop. I'm, and I'm just sitting there and I'm just feeling like such a wimp because, you know, I'm having to pause and my hands are on my knees and I can hear myself breathing over everything in the world, you know. And as I'm sitting there, someone goes, Sam, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Just need to catch my breath. And they go, okay, because it's right here. We're, we're right there. And I was like, ah. Oh. If I would have made it like 15 more feet, I could have saved face, you know. But no, I just, I stopped 15 feet short, but I had to catch my breath. Well, this is one of those times where it's almost like we have to stop it and catch our breath from what just happened. But then we find out that life just goes on. 
And so let's read chapter 23 together and let's talk about it. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for the burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zoar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Mechpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among the people, and he replied to Abraham in, uh, in hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me. If you will, I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field and Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Mechpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. As we look at this story, in this passage, we see that there are some interesting things, I think, to make note of. What I find most interesting is how short the description is of Sarah's death and of Abraham's response to it. We, we see it's two verses. And it says that Sarah lived to be 127 years old, she died. And then it says, Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. And that's all the account we have of Sarah's death. We, we don't have any emotional dialogue that takes place between them. Here is the wife who has known him better than anyone. Here is the person who laughed at God and then they laughed together when their son Isaac was born in their old age. Here, here is the, the person who has been by his side through 
all of this, leaving the land on this journey with him, this journey of faith. She's gone and all we hear are these two verses. And then there's all these verses of this interaction that takes place between Abraham and the Hittites that are there. And it's almost like, why do we need to know all that stuff? Don't we want to know more about just what's happening with the emotion of Abraham losing his wife? And Sarah, you know, here is the mother of Isaac and of the promise. But what we get is this dialogue that goes back and forth between Abraham and the people that are there. And Moses, the storyteller here, doesn't linger over the details. There's no sad bedtime scene that takes place. There's no last words at her final breath. There's only her lifespan. And then the story goes on. But we know that these losses leave a mark on us. You, you don't lose someone this close to you and it not affect your life. They say that time heals all wounds, but in truth, I think we just get used to living with the pain of the loss. And it doesn't go away. It just changes. And... That's a difficult thing to have to move on and live with. And, you know, life is like that. Last week we celebrated Easter. And what a joyous time we had. I mean, and you need to understand, there's a lot that goes into the preparation for Easter. You know, the band practices, the guys get here and they get here on Saturday to set up so that we have enough time Sunday to go through and try and make through everything, make sure everything is right. And you guys who were here, you saw, I mean, the place was packed. You know, we just had enough chairs. It seemed there was a few spots open, but it was just all these people were here and it's exciting. And as a pastor, you know, it's one of those things where, okay, Easter is the day. A friend of mine, Nathan at Mosaic in Pomona posted Easter hangover and hashtag pastors understand. And I so understand what he means. You just give of yourself for this day and here is the Easter and then Monday comes. And Easter's over and all that that you've done is there in one day. And then as a pastor, you wonder, are they coming back? Who will come back? And no pastor talks about this because we want you to think it doesn't matter to us, but it does. When no one shows up on Sunday... It's a bad day for the pastor, okay? The pastor goes home and he thinks, what did I say last week that made no one want to return? (laughs) What was it that I, I did that is causing this problem? And our emotions go into the tank and we talk ourselves up and say, no, it's okay, they'll be back. Oh, I hope they'll be back. Will they be back? They ask their wife, do you think they're coming back? Is anyone... 
does anyone care? You know, is anyone, and you know, you might think it's no big deal. I just, you know, I got up late and, you know, I, I just didn't feel it. And the pastor's freaking out. No one's here. What's going to happen next week? Everyone. And then they show up next week. Oh, okay. 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 We're, we're okay. We're going to live. And it happens every week. And that's just what we go through. And I know I'm not alone in this because I've been involved with three ministries that have started from the ground up, been involved with leadership for almost 30 years in church ministry. And so I've seen behind the scenes and I've heard this conversation. Wow, it was a light turnout last week. Yeah, what do you think's going on? I don't know. Well, let's pray. Okay, let's pray. Pray God they come back. You know what I mean? What do you... What are we going to do? And so this moment of Easter is here. Yay. And then even talking with Alex during the week, he's saying, yeah, you know, we're, you know, we're not going to have the whole band. What if they come back and they see the whole band's not here and they think like, oh, we, we tricked them, you know, (laughs) it was all great last week, but now it's just me and Jillian and we're singing and, and I'm thinking the same thing, you know, I know. And then what are we going to talk about? Well, let's talk about the death of Sarah. (laughs) We just talked about the resurrection, the most climactic event in human history. And now we're talking about an event that if you notice in the story, there is nothing divine that even takes place in the story. There's no God spoke to Abraham or God comforted Abraham or this is what the Lord did. There is just the story. And sometimes that's life. Sometimes there is great and just euphoric experiences with God and then sometimes there is the next Sunday. Sometimes there is the next day. Sometimes after the mountaintop experience where God intervenes and rescues Isaac and makes a statement for all history, there is the loss of your wife and there is the continuance of life just going on. And Abram, Abraham has to tend to business. And we, we see that take place in verses 4 through 16. And there's some things that we want to point out here. First is Abraham takes care of these things it says that he's a foreigner among strangers sell me some property he has this idea i don't belong here if you remember back in chapter nine i think it was i'm getting stuck here on my microphone if you're wondering what's he doing up there i keep sitting on my microphone and it keeps pulling my head back so if you see me doing this i'm like just oh it's going on And, and so in chapter nine i think it was where we saw Lot, oh, this thing came off, oh well, Lot went into Sodom and was there and he begged with the guys not to do the evil thing that they were going to do and they said, who are you but some foreigner? Are you going to tell us what to do? And so there was this understanding, if you're a foreigner, you don't have the say in our issues. You can't vote in our disagreements or our issues here. And at the gate is where these things would take place, which is where this dialogue is taking place. At the gate is kind of the courtroom. And we see over and over again this phrase, listen to us, listen to me. 
Well, listen to us. And that's being said because there where the people would hear what's going on, it was their declaration. Okay, did you hear that? Yeah, I heard that. Did you hear that? Yeah. So now it is settled. And so Abraham is there and he's saying, hey, I'm just a foreigner. Sell me some property. And their response in verse 5 or verse 6, sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. And so we see that Abraham is negotiating this deal with them and he opens up saying, hey, I'm just a stranger. And they say, listen to us, you, you are powerful. He had more recognition than he realized. He had more prominence than he understood. And as they say this to him, Abraham has to now see himself in their eyes and not just his own. He has to see who he is to them and not just who he thinks he is. He has to recalibrate his thought process on where he stands with them and how he moves forward in this. And so they say, hey, no, you're a prince here, but notice what they do. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. And what's really taking place is what they offer him is use of one of their burial sites. They don't offer him ownership. They're telling him, hey, whatever you want, you can borrow it from us. But remember, Abram said, sell to me one of these things. And so that's the exchange that's taking place. And so then Abraham bows, he, he bows down again, showing sign of humility. I'm the stranger here. I'm still going to show you respect. And he says, if you're willing, let me bury my dead, then listen to me. Again, we see that phrase. It's Abraham's turn to speak, and he's asking them to take into account what I'm saying and intercede with Ephron, the son of Zoar, on my behalf, so that he may, what, sell me the cave at Mechpelah. I know what I want. I want to buy this cave that I can use at the end of this field. Sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. And so his intention is ownership of the cave. They respond back. Ephron the Hittite's there among the crowd. Hey, I'm here. I hear you. And he replies to Abraham and hearing all the Hittites, again, everyone's a witness here, to at the gate of the city where this is all taking place. No, my Lord, he said, listen to me. You get how many times this? Listen to me. It's kind of redundant, right? Listen to me. No, listen to me. No, listen to me. Sounds like a discussion at home, right? Listen to me, honey. Okay, now you listen to me. Okay, now listen to me. And everyone is having their say in this point. And so he says, no, my Lord. He says, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it in the presence of all these people to bury your dead. Now, it sounds like he's just being very generous, but notice that he cleverly throws in his field. Abraham only wanted the cave, but now he's saying, hey, the field and the cave, they go together. It's a deal. You can't separate them. You can't have the cave without the field. You can't have the field without the cave. They belong together. And it sounds like he's just giving it to them, but there's this bargaining that's taking place. And it's important that we understand this. You know, 
the value now has become more and the price has become more. And you think, well, he, he, it sounds like he's just going to give it to him, but that's not what's happening here. He's saying, yeah, you want the cave? It comes with the field. They go together. And so, after hearing this, he says, if you will pay me the... Abraham again says, bow down, showing respect in the land. And he says to Ephraim in their hearing, listen to me. If you will, I'll pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. And so Abraham agrees to buy the field and the cave. Ephron says, listen to me. The land is worth, and here's the bottom line, it's worth this much. This is what I want, 700 or 400 shekels of silver. But what's that between you and me? Bury your dead. It's just a polite way of saying, give me $400 or 400 shekels of silver and it's done. But what's that between you and me? Well, it's the price of the field and the cave is what it is. Okay, that, that's what it is. And then look at in verse, Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms. So there's no question, this was his terms. You want the field, this is how much it is, or the cave that comes with the field. And hearing this in front of all the Hittites, now it's a done deal. This is what's happening. And as this is all going on, Abraham doesn't barter like he did in times past. He just says, okay. Maybe there's no strength in him left to fight. Maybe he is overwhelmed with the emotion of his loss that he just can't fight. But there is no bargaining, trying to get the price down. He just says, okay. And we need to kind of pause here and think a little bit because when someone who we love passes away, we wonder why. And we we wonder why because we want to try and make sense of the loss of someone who is important to us because we can't imagine life just going on without a recognition of the importance of this person. You know, the day after our time here at Easter, I played at a memorial service for Mary's brother. And it's such a a strange thing. Just, you know, we just celebrated Easter and here we are in a graveyard having a memorial service. And then after the memorial service, I went and trained a dog. And my mind is just kind of going, man, I just celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And then I'm at a memorial service and then I'm with this dog. It's like, man, life. And I vowed at that moment, I'm never going to train another dog the day after Easter. Just because I was exhausted. And you just start thinking, man, life just goes on, but something incredible just happened. Something important just happened. But life goes on. And we want to know why. And sometimes our question why, trying to find out that reason, it's as if if we find a reason, it would serve some purpose to help us understand that there is just meaning. And it's like we assume that if I have a good enough reason then it'll make this death easier to take. But it doesn't. And so then what we're left with is 
okay, I know this truth and I have to trust God for these things and I'm going to then have to just live in the mystery of what I don't fully understand. And that's hard for us. To just accept something and trust God and not have all the answers and not have it all make sense. And we just have a hard time figuring those things. We panic at the thought of something that's outside of our control that we have to just live with. A friend of mine lost his son. His son committed suicide a year ago. And he's been journaling about it. And as he writes about these things, it's just a powerful insight into his heart. And on his recent blog that he wrote, he said, a lot of the stuff I've read about grieving a loss says that often the second year is more difficult. During the first year, I was surrounded by friends and family. They are all sympathetic. I was a bit numb and in shock. I was learning how to live without, to survive and cope without, and somehow go on without. And then sometime after those milestones, the first birthday without, first Thanksgiving without, first Christmas without, all those missed markers in a year, I arrived at the anniversary of death. And it came and it passed. And time kept ticking. People kept their routines. Have things gotten better? Is anything easier? And even when we give up, stop trying to control the things around us, we still try to take control of what's inside us. And we try to learn how to manage our feelings as if feelings can be managed, as if you're able to just control emotion and make it do what you want. And the truth is, you can't. And so what do we do? How do we move forward? How do we deal with these emotions, the powerful emotions that happen in those times of loss, in those times of tragedy, in those times of difficulty? How do we continue on in the midst of these things? How do we make peace with them? And one of the things we can do is observe our feelings, our emotions. And what I mean by that is when you're in them, when you're in the emotion the emotion is all you see. But if you're able to stand back and observe, in other words, take into account what's going on with you, what's happening in the situation, you're able then to think a little bit more clearly and not just on the situation. And we have to do that with life in so many areas and in so many ways. If there's a, a difficulty, if there's a calamity that's coming down upon you if you just react many times you're going to react wrong when there's disaster and you just go with whatever comes to mind you can make some serious mistakes unless you've had training and know how to react and so sometimes what's good to do is to stop and pause so that you're not in a frantic state 
You take time to, to think about what's going on. I'm going to share Alex's story. When it was one of his daughters, I won't mention her name, but she sang this morning. And, and <laughs> she was baking some cookies. It was cookies, right? And she was baking some cookies in the oven, and it ended up the oven caught on fire. For some reason, there was grease or whatever in the oven. And so this fire starts coming up, and the smoke is... And Alex was taking a nap on the couch and just having a restful day, he thought. And then there's a fire in the kitchen, and the oven is literally in flames, and smoke is going on. And Alex goes running into the kitchen, and he starts shouting out, Think! 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 Because he had to tell himself to think. What do you do in this situation? When you wake up and there's a fire and, you know, your daughter's screaming and your wife's screaming and he had to tell himself, think, think, think. Sometimes we have to stop enough to think. We have to back off and we can't just, well, let's throw water on the fire. Well, no, I did that once. That doesn't work. That spreads the fire. You have to think, okay, what kind of fire is it? What can I do to stop this situation. Well, when our emotions are rampant and when depression and sorrow is overwhelming, you can't escape the emotion, but sometimes you can stop back, step back and look at what's going on so that you can try and see where you are in this situation. Sometimes you have to be a part of the life that is continuing to go on so that you can see that, in fact, life is continuing to go on. And unless you get stuck in a place of depression, and in case you get stuck in a place where you just cannot emotionally move forward because of what has happened to you, whether it is the loss of someone you love or whether it is a tragedy that has taken place, you will find yourself traumatized if you're not able to stop and look and see what is happening to you, what is happening around you, and how are you supposed to move forward. See, our feelings are often the very point at which we can connect with life, connect with ourselves. Our feelings are a great way of revealing our inner thoughts and assumptions but you will not be able to see them if you don't stop and reflect in the moment. How many times have I been angry and my anger has dictated how I react instead of me stopping and looking and saying, this is what's going on, this is how I need to respond to this situation. How many times have I been so overwhelmed that my sorrow is what determines how I behave and I end up behaving in a way that is not right? for the situation, but I was blinded by the emotion and I didn't stop and I didn't take time to think. I didn't recalibrate my life and say, okay, what's going on here? How do I live right here, right now? What is my body telling me? What are my emotions telling me? How am I supposed to continue with this happening? And Abraham continues, he continues moving forward in probably the most difficult time, we see him continuing to move forward. And sometimes that's all we can do. Again, there's no supernatural 
in this story. No divine encounter conversation. It's just the normal business of life. And yet it takes up the whole chapter. Why would God put this in his scripture? What are we supposed to learn from this? And I think we're learning that life goes on. This takes up more space than Sarah's actual death. The silly details of ancient bartering, I think, reveal to us useful insight. If we pay attention to the details of life and what's going on around us, we are able to discover what God is doing in present moments. We assume that it is easy to, to be in the present moment, but when we try, our thoughts go everywhere else. Past regrets, resentments, future responsibilities, worries. We have to slow down and catch our breath with what's happening with us right here, right now. We need to take stock on who we are at those moments of trial and difficulty so that we can continue going forward. And it's a difficult thing to do. We, we try to just rush into it. We're going to fly by it. We're, okay, calamity has hit my life. Tragedy has hit my life. I'm just going to get things done. I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to do what I have to do. And then all of a sudden you find yourself breaking down, overwhelmed with emotion, bursting out, losing control. Why? What happened? You did not stop and evaluate what's going on inside of you. How are you responding to the tragedy that happened? What are you doing? Are you stopping to think about what's going on inside of you enough so that you can see how you're supposed to move forward? Are you overwhelmed with it and you're just putting it in cruise control? I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to just keep going. Well, pretty soon you're going to hit bottom and everyone's going to know. The family's going to reap the repercussions of you're not stopping and checking in with what's going on with you with you not being a part of the moment that you are in and dealing with it, dealing with the hurt, dealing with the loss, dealing with the pain, and being able to function in the everyday life. The present moment is calling us to listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. Because even in the busyness of this everyday life, we can cross the threshold into the sacred. Even in the mundane things, there is the opportunity to bring what is sacred into our lives. But we will miss it if we just push forward, just push forward. Just push forward. Sometimes standing or, or sitting in front of me is a person who has gone through something difficult, if I'm counseling, and their face, their expression, their body language is telling me what's going on inside of them. And if I don't stop and look and pay attention to what's happening in the dialogue, I can hear just the words of, oh yeah, everything's fine. But I'm looking and I'm seeing and I know 
everything's not fine. Something's going on inside of you. There is pain. I see it behind the smile. I see it in the eyes. And it's not good. So many times we find ourselves stuck in those places and we just need to say, listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying right now, what I'm declaring right now. A lot of times we need to try and move our life forward. Have you ever experienced something but had no one you could share it with? Maybe you're in another country and no one speaks your language and you're seeing this beautiful sunset. When I was in Haiti, I was overlooking. I went up early in the morning because you get up early when you sleep on concrete. At least I do. And I got up early in the morning and I walked up this hill and I was just, the sun was just barely breaking daylight and I was looking over the school that was there and just the, the mountains and it was just gorgeous. There was a river and it was just beautiful and this lady who was a Haitian woman there and some of her kids were there and all I can say is, um, what I, I don't even remember what I say for good morning, I, bonjour, you know, <laughs> bonjour. And I feel like saying, oh, isn't this gorgeous? but I don't know how to say, isn't this gorgeous in Creole? All I know, I don't even know if I said bonjour or bonsoir. One is in the afternoon, one's in the morning. And so I have this moment, but I can't really share it with her. And she lives right here. She sees this every day. To her, it's not anything new. To her, it's just every day the same thing. But to me, it was breathtaking. To me, it was a moment. I had this understanding. Something incredible is happening right before me, and I really had to just experience myself. And every day, there are moments that are breathtaking that just happen. And many days, we do not experience them because we don't pause, stop, and pay attention to what's happening. We don't see the beauty that's going on around us. The canvas is there and then it's gone. And it'll never be repeated. You might take a photograph, but a photograph couldn't capture what I was seeing. I took one and it's like, yeah, no, that's not it. And life is filled with moments that go on and continue to go on. And the key is to be able to live fully in those moments as they go on. It might mean you have to stop listening to those thoughts and listen instead to what's happening around you. It might mean stop listening and thinking. I've got to think. I've got to figure it out. How can I help the situation? How can I correct the situation? It might mean just stop and listen to what life is telling you right here, right now around you. It might be just dealing with what is in front of you. It might be saying, listen to me. Now listen to me. And being there in that moment, listening. Jesus said in Matthew 6.34, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So then, 
rather than running after our thoughts and away from God, maybe we can stop and actually run to Him instead of trying to fix it. My friend's blog, he concluded with these words, the one who had lost his son. He said, I also realize that it is worth the journey, worth the difficulty. I have never been alone in this, not only his wife and his son, but his family. My brothers, my sisters, my old mother, a cloud of nieces and nephews, my friends, who stuck by me, who shared my pain that wasn't theirs, a full measure of suffering by choice to carry me, carry us from one moment to one day to the next, to share with us their strength, to lend us a bit of life, a shoulder, a spark of life, to be there for us, salvation and life. And I have to see the beauty in that, to share my gratitude and to point that out to others. He was able to stop and see all that people have done to help him in this moment where he is overwhelmed, where day goes after day and he wakes up at the same time every morning with the first thought thinking of his loss. If that is all that he sees, he himself will be lost but able to see the other things that are happening around him, the good that people are doing in his life, the good that God is still doing in his life enables him to, in that moment, pause and have hope. And I know that in a lot of our lives, there is struggle, there is hurt, there is trauma. And it overwhelms your thoughts and emotions and it consumes how you feel. And here we see Abraham in this story with the loss of his wife that just takes up this one small small portion. Life continues on and he has to live in the moment and he has to say, listen to me. And I'm telling us, because I'm telling this to myself as well, Don't just listen to your thoughts. Don't just run away with your emotions. Take the time to stop. Take the time to see your situation. Take the time to listen to what is happening and what God is saying to you here and now in this situation so that you can move forward with understanding, that you can move forward with hope, that you could move forward and understand that there is still a life to be lived. There is still a God who is working. And it might seem like his voice is silent, just like it seems it's gone in this chapter, but we see that underneath we are all his workmanship. And God is not through working. And in the mundane of your life and in those dreary parts, stop. Listen to me. What is God doing in me right now in this situation? Stop. Listen to me. Let's pray.
Father, there is no way to rationally deal with some of the tragedies we face. There is no answer that is going to satisfy the emotion that we have. There is no circumstance that is going to change and make the hurt disappear. That's not how life works. After mountaintop experiences come the caves, come the tragedies. After Sunday morning comes Monday morning with all the toil, with all the trouble. And Lord, if we will not pause and reflect what is happening with us at those moments, we will miss those moments. We will miss the sunrise. We will miss the canvas that is being painted in our lives right there, right then, that every day has something to offer, a gift. There is something taking place that we can appreciate today. And so, Lord, may we pause, may we listen, may we move forward in our lives, even though it seems your voice is gone, even when it seems this is the darkest place that I've ever been, may we pause and reflect and see God is still speaking. Life continues. And I have life. And may we move forward in the promises that you've given us in spite of the emotion, in spite of the overwhelming burdens that we feel. May we pause. And may we hear you even if it's through someone else, say, listen to me. May we be able to have enough focus to see what is happening in our lives right now, today. May we not worry about tomorrow, how things are going to work out. May we be alive today. You've given us this day. Today is the day that you have made, I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. In Jesus' name, amen.